All right, good morning everyone. Welcome to our plans and programs uh, committee meeting of our San Francisco Transportation Authority um, of April 19, 2016. I am Katie Tang, uh, the chair of this committee, and to my left we have commissioners John Avalos and Aaron Peskin. Our clerk is Steve Stamos and I'm sorry? Aaron <laughs> yes, Aaron Peskin on the far left. And uh, from SFGov TV, we have uh, Charles Kromanak and Nona Marconian. And with that, if we can call uh, item one, please. All right, item one, roll call. Commissioner Avalos? Here. Avalos present. Commissioner Breed? Breed absent. Commissioner Farrell? Farrell absent. Commissioner Peskin? Present. Peskin present. Commissioner Tang? Present. Tang present. We have quorum. Thank you. Uh, if we could please call item two, please. Item two, Citizens Advisory Committee Report. This is an information item. Thank you. We have Chris Wadling, our CAC chair. Good morning, commissioners. Um, there are two items I wanted to bring to your attention from today's agenda. Um, regarding item number six, uh, allocation of Prop K and Prop AA funds. Um, and tre regarding the Treasure Island portion, um, we, had, we, had a, we had a short agenda, so we got a lot of, a lot of comments from uh, from people on, on all of these things. Um, I asked about uh, the kind of local resident feedback the TA had received during outreach, and apparently they've done a fantastic job, uh, both Tima and the TA have done a fantastic job of doing outreach. Um, affordability and subsidies for low-income residents uh, on the island were of primary concern, um, and they seem to be addressed quite, quite well. Um, Becky Hogue, who represents uh, Treasure Island, uh, said that they've been doing a great job um, in reaching out to people and, and making sure that their concerns are, are met. Regarding Mansell Corridor, uh, Vice Chair Peter Sachs asked about the lag time between the initial public meetings and the construction phase and whether residents had been made, made aware of the amount of time and lack of funding. Um, I happened to have been at some of those early meetings in 2010 and uh, Park and Rec had indeed you know, told us at that time that, uh, that there, there was going to be a lag time in funding and, and so we, we're expecting to wait, um, and we're, we're all glad to see it moving forward. Um, regarding item number seven on your agenda, the bike area, Bay Area Bike Share update, um, Peter Sachs brought this up during our new business section, uh, that he was concerned that the proposed expansion of bike share was not adequately dispersed throughout the city, um, understanding that uh, certain parts of the city are busier, but um, many areas in the southeast west of Twin Peaks and southwest um, were still without any kind of stations. And so uh, questions as to where generally during phases two, two through four uh, they'll be expanding in San Francisco would be kind of nice if they could address that today. Uh, I, I look forward to hearing that. So that's all I have. Thank you very much. I think this is Commissioner Avalos, not Farrell. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes, thank you for your presentation and thank you for your work on the Mansell. Uh, Corridor. It's uh, actually a really great project. It's really, they actually just did the paving on it and it's going to have a dramatic improvement to that area and bring a lot of pedestrian safety measures yeah. and just calm the traffic and it's just a wonderful project. So thank you. I can't wait. Thanks. Thank you for that. I saw the photos as well. I think it'll be very nice when it's done. All right. So seeing no other questions or comments, then if we can open up item two to public comment. Seeing no public comment, public comment is closed. Item three, and we're now joined with uh, Commissioner Farrell. Item three, approve the minutes of the March 15, 2016 meeting. This is an action item. Thank you. Any um, public comment on item three? Okay, seeing none, public comment is closed. Uh, commissioners, do we have an 
All right. Thank you. Moved by Commissioner Avalos, seconded by Farrell. All right. Without objection, the minutes are adopted. Item four. Uh, we'll take a uh, roll call vote. Oh, I'm sorry. sorry. <laughs> now we have roll call. Yes. On uh, item three, the minutes. Commissioner Avalos? Aye. Avalos, aye. Commissioner Breed? Breed absent. Commissioner Farrell? Farrell, aye. Commissioner Peskin? Aye. Peskin, aye. Commissioner Tang? Aye. Tang, aye. The minutes are approved. All right. Thank you. Item five, please. Item um, sorry, item four. <laughs> item four, recommend appointment of one member to the Citizens Advisory Committee. This is an action item. Thank you. We have Maria Lombardo here, our Chief Deputy Director at the TA. Good morning, committee members. I'll keep this short and sweet. We have one opening on the Authority Citizens Advisory Committee, which is due to the um, resignation of Wells Whitney, who, um, well, by practice, who's representing District uh, 3. I would just note the current roster of CAC candidates is listed on Attachment 1. I'm sorry, CAC members is on Attachment 1 of your packet. Attachment 2 has 27 applicants. For the benefit of those watching, we accept applications continuously. They're available at www.sfcta.org. And the only requirements are that you be a San Francisco resident and appear at least once before this committee. And I understand we have at least one CAC member um, or candidate in the audience. Thank you very much. Do we have any um, questions or comments before we proceed to the applicants? Madam Chair, I just want to acknowledge Wells Whitney and thank him for his service and uh, let members of this panel know that we'll be hearing from um, Mr. Bradley Wiedemeyer as well as others. Um, and I look forward to uh, making a recommendation after public comment. Thank you. So at this time, then, I'm going to ask if anyone is applying for uh, the seat to please come up and make a presentation. And if you can please also state your, your full name before you make your presentation. Good morning. My name is Bradley Weedmeyer. I'm a 39-year resident of San Francisco. I live in District 6 on the line with District 3. I have lived in many different neighborhoods of the city and I am interested in advocating for transit systems and for our many communities. I um, am a uh, student of design, urban design um, and architecture and uh, I have um, worked uh, for uh, architectural historians. I am now currently a uh, uh, home healthcare aide. I got into that because I did research for uh, elderly architectural historians and they needed uh, help as well in their daily uh, experience. So I, I, I am doing that now. And through that, I've um, deepened uh, commitment to the labor movement in the city, to um, uh, people with uh, special needs, the disabled, and uh, seniors. And I'm concerned about their access to our city. I um, am concerned about uh, uh, the complexities of our city, that we make sure that we're looking for all of our communities, and I'm very glad that uh, the uh, city works to extend uh, positions so that we can make sure we're not uh, overlooking any of our um, population groups and their transportation needs. Thank you very much. Do we have any questions or comments for this applicant? Okay, seeing none, thank you for your presentation. 
Are there any other members who are here uh, from the public who are applying for the seat? Okay, then seeing none, then we'll actually go to public comment on item four. Any members of the public who wish to comment on item four? Okay, seeing none, public comment is closed. Commissioner Peskin. Madam Chair, colleagues, I would like to uh, nominate Bradley uh, Wiedemeyer for the CAC seat. All right, thank you. Uh, seconded by Commissioner Avalos, and we can take that without objection. All right, so approved. Congratulations. Let's go to item five now. Item five, recommend appointment of two members to the Geary Corridor Bus Rapid Transit Citizens Advisory Committee. This is an action item. Thank you. We have Maria Lombardo. Okay, it's the second of our CAC appointment actions. We have established a special CAC to advise us on the Geary Bus Rapid Transit or BRT project given the sort of in-depth in uh, nature of the discussions. And the current structure includes 13 seats. There's a table on page two of the memo. There basically are seats along the corridor and at-large seats. There are three Richmond seats. One of the vacancies today is due to the term expiration of Jonathan Forrester, who is not seeking reappointment. There are three currently filled seats in Japantown Fillmore, two filled seats in the Tenderloin downtown area, and we have five at-large seats. The other vacancy is due to the expiration of one seat, which is currently occupied by Margie Hom Brown, and she is seeking reappointment. She is an at-large seat, but she happens to reside in the Richmond, and I can convey that we understand that Commissioner Marr is interested in reappointing her. Uh, we have continuously accepted applications and done an additional um, advertisement for the opening on the Geary CAC. And you'll see attachment um, two in your packet gives you the list of the candidates who are available. Unlike the authorities CAC, the candidates do not need to appear before this committee, but they are strongly encouraged to attend. I understand we at least have one candidate um, who is expected to attend today to speak to his or her interests. All right. Thank you very much. Um, at this time, then, I'm going to ask if any, um, any of the other applicants are here today. Please come on up and make a presentation. And again, remember to state your full name before your presentation. And we're now joined by Commissioner London Breed. Good morning. My name is Tom Barton. I'm honored to have the chance to serve on the GCAC committee. I have been a resident of the Richmond District for over 40 years. Now, since I don't drive, the Muni is my primary means of transportation. So I use the Muni every day. And I can add a lot to what is happening on the Muni. I also talk with a lot of operators and have shared information as to what is being proposed, because many of them are not aware of the uh, proposals. Knowing what the operators feel about any proposed changes is important in any discussion so that we can see all sides. As a senior, I observe issues that affect the seniors, many Asians that live in the Richmond district where I live, and would like to see that any changes take into account any changes that will affect the seniors or the disabled people of the Richmond district. I have also regularly attended the committee meetings, so I've kept abreast of what is being planned. I'm also involved in a senior center in the Castro District, and I have gone to every uh, session that we've had and given reports as to what is being proposed on Gary. I remember many years ago that there were community meetings that talked about the possibility of having the light rail going out on Gary. Nothing ever happened with that proposal. 
Well, I'd like to be honored to be a member of the GCAC committee to see transport changes on Gary implemented. Thank you for the opportunity to serve on the CGAC committee and represent residents of the Richmond district. Thank you. Thank you very much. Next applicant. Good morning. Uh, my name is Sanford Kingsley. I'm a native of San Franciscan, lifelong San Francisco resident and a 30 plus year resident of the Richmond district. Uh, I'm interested in serving on the committee because I ride the bus as does that gentleman every day. I took the bus down here today. Um, building the, the BRT in our neighborhood is a complicated deal. It involves, uh, you know, in the Richmond district we have uh, beyond Arguello, there's a couple of banks and there's a, a couple of Walgreens, but basically all the businesses out there are mom and pop or uh, locally owned businesses. And uh, we are desperate to get uh, a better form of rapid transit out there, but it's one that has to be sustainable, sustainable for the community, which means that the businesses can uh, uh, survive construction, that uh, I, as a, as, a, as a neighborhood resident, can still walk down and want to walk down and uh, take my laundry in, uh, go to restaurants and such. So it's very complicated. The, uh, the issues of the underpasses further downtown, further, further east, are complicated. I understand those issues. Uh, I feel like I can play a constructive role in helping the agency try to work that out. I'm a lawyer by training, uh, but I now work full-time as a mediator. I have a full-time mediation practice. Uh, one of the things I do in my mediation practice is to make sure that all parties uh, have, a, have their voices are heard and they, and they participate meaningfully in the process. And I feel I can be a constructive um, uh, add to the committee in bringing those skills to it. So I urge you to consider uh, nominating me for this position. And I thank you for your time. Thank you very much. Next applicant. Uh, good morning. Uh, my name is Alexander Post. I live in Laurel Heights. Um, I moved here, I moved to San Francisco 12 years ago for law school and uh, never left. I. Uh, ditched my car several years ago, and so I now rely exclusively on Muni to get around, uh, to get to and from work and just in my daily life. Um, so public transit is a very important and, and personal issue for me. Um, I'm a regular user of the 38L, now the 38R, um, and I'm very excited about the possibility of rapid transit along the Geary Corridor. Um, I think rapid bus rapid transit is uh, a really elegant solution to the problem of needing more mass transit on the west side, uh, but being in the era that we're in now where state and national infrastructure funding is uh, drying up. So, and so just tweaking that infrastructure rather than engaging in a capital intensive long-term project like a subway I think is really smart. Um, but as someone who's been in San Francisco for a while now, I have been subject <laughs> to the same sort of changes, uh, rapid changes that have been happening. Um, so I understand that these sort of large infrastructure projects can become uh, lightning rods for people to vent their frustrations at the rapid pace of change. And uh, so I think going in with that knowledge will make me an effective ambassador to the residents and business owners that will be impacted by uh, the bus rapid transit um, and will also allow me to be an effective communicator for those people to the committee. Uh, so I think I'd be an effective committee member and I urge you to consider my candidacy. Thank you. Thank you very much. Next applicant, please. Hi there. My name is Jay Seiden. I live in the Richmond. I uh, shop and commute on Geary almost every day. And I will show up and participate at every meeting on the agenda. Thanks. Thank you. 
Uh, any other members of the public who are applying for this uh, seat on the Gary BRT CAC? Okay, seeing none, then we're now going to open this item. Oh, sorry, Commissioner. Um, now, is this really feral? Or, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> sorry, we're having issues with our screen here. Okay, Commissioner Avalos. <laughs> Just want to express that there was a request from the District 1 Supervisor Eric Marr uh, that he is interested in supporting uh, Margie Hom Brown for the at-large seat and is still considering who to appoint for the Richmond seat. And uh, if there's consensus on the committee, I'd like to propose that as a way for to move forward for today. All right, thank you. Commissioner Farrell. Sure, um, I actually pressed it to delete my name when I oh, thought, but, but it's okay, <laughs> I'll, I'll comment now that Supervisor Alvos chimed in. Um, uh, you know, happy to do that. I think um, Mr. Post and Mr. Kingsley, um, I would very much support them as well and be happy to do so. I guess I tend to support people that do come to these hearings, but I understand that people can't. So uh, certainly for the Richmond seat in particular, I think we respect the, the wishes of the district supervisor for sure. I think for the at-large seat, I would tend to skew towards someone who came, but um, understand if there's a discussion and happy to entertain that. Thank you. Commissioner Peskin. That's oh, oh, I'm sorry, Commissioner Breed. It's one of those days. I came in here, and the back of my name plaque says Matt Gonzalez on it. <laughs> <laughs> He's been We're long all confused gone. today. <laughs> okay, Commissioner um, Breed. <laughs> I, I, I think that um, I would support um, supervisors, uh, Supervisor Fair or Commissioner Farrow's um, suggestion that we um, potentially put. Uh, the recommendation of Supervisor Marr in the Richmond district seat and we appoint um, someone who has attended the meeting and, and commented that's here today that doesn't necessarily fit in the Richmond district seat in the at-large seat. So that would be my recommendation and I'm open to that. Thank you. And colleagues then, um, if that's the case, I mean, I would be um, supportive of that too. Is there a particular applicant you saw today that you would like to put into the at-large seat? I think the one applicant that I saw from the at-large seat was Mr. Post. Okay. Is there a, anyone else or second to that? Yep, seconded by uh, Commissioner Breed. Okay, so then I think that we would probably what we would do if it's amenable to the rest of the committee is we would amend um, the motion to have Margie Hom Brown be in the uh, District 1 appointing seat and then uh, Mr. Alexander Post for the at large seat. Is that okay? I, okay. Or I wanted comments? to follow the wishes of the District 1 supervisor, and that, that was to. Uh, keep the Richmond seat open uh, and appointing Margie Hom Brown to the at-large seat. And I realized she couldn't be here today. I'm not sure what the reason is, but um, you know, it's also very difficult for people to come here out of their day of work or whatever they have that they're doing during the day. Uh, so I don't think it's necessary to, or it makes sense to like use that as a rule. You come to the meeting, then you have a better shot at getting on the committee like this. Uh, she's already been on the committee. I think she has brings a lot of important uh, perspective and experience that would help continue the continuity of the work on the GRT. So uh, that's where I'm at. And uh, I, if we have to do a roll call vote, I okay I do that. All right. I'm sorry. I see double Aaron Peskin on the screen. First. So is that Commissioner Breed? Okay. Yeah. I just wanted to know. I mean, the at-large seats and the district seats—they all have equal say. So does it really matter? I just want clarity on that. 
see Maria Lombardo coming up. Just confirming they all have one vote, one seat. Thank you. Okay. Uh, Commissioner Peskin. Thank you, Madam Chair. Colleagues, Ms. Hom Brown has actually appeared before this body when she was originally appointed. So the fact that she's not here today and is seeking reappointment, I think that's kind of business as normal. I mean, if somebody wants to continue in that seat and uh, they have the experience, why, why change that out? I think that the way this commission and this body has conducted itself over many, many years is to heed the desires of the district supervisor. The BRT goes through various different districts with various different appointees. I think it's been the pattern and practice of this committee, uh, as I said, over a long time to honor the wishes of the district supervisor. So I, for one, will be voting to keep that seat vacant until uh, Supervisor Marr can make his thoughts known. Okay, thank you. Uh, Commissioner Farrell. Thanks. And, and just to be clear, I completely agree with that sentiment. The Richmond seat should, I believe, is we should respect the wishes of Supervisor Marr. And if people feel super strongly, I, uh, I get the comments. Someone who showed up, I understand. I would, I, um, I'd be willing to give people a chance to come back. But if I would tend to incline to support somebody that showed up today for the at-large seat, because that does roll through District One and District Three and District Five and District, you know, I'm sure three, um, at some point there in six. So. Um, that would be my inclination, but if there's strong feelings, you know, the other way, I appreciate that, and, and I, you know, I do want to respect my colleagues as well. But I would be very much uh, be in favor of supporting Mr. Post and um, uh, Mr. Kingsley if it came down to it, would, um, in terms of District One. Um, but that'd be my opinion, and um, again, want to make sure I was clear about that. Okay, thank you, um, Commissioner Breed. <laughs> thank you, and and I just want to say. Um, I'm really um, very sensitive about people who show up to committee and also show up to meetings. I do know that we have had challenges in the past with many of these bodies that we make decisions on in terms of people who serve on these bodies. Um, and we've had challenges with attendance in general. I'm not necessarily saying that Ms. Brown in some way has a, an attendance issue or I'm using this to make a decision about whether or not we should reappoint her, but I, I feel that it, as far as I'm concerned, it doesn't necessarily matter which seat that she holds. And I think um, the fact that we have individuals here who are qualified and capable showing up and presenting, um, we should make a decision um, so that we can continue with the business of the body. And so with that, I want to continue support of Supervisor Farrow's uh, suggestion um, and we can just move forward and make our decision and vote on it. Uh, Commissioner Farrell? Oh, no. oh, oh, I'm sorry. It's the other Commissioner, Commissioner Farrell. <laughs> it's the Irish one. Uh, that's me. Uh, I had Irish nuns actually growing up in school. Um, kind of makes me a little bit Irish. Um, I'll, give you that. I'll give you that. <laughs> we're a lot of James Joyce too. Uh, so uh, I Ms. Hom Brown has actually uh, been a very active member of the CAC. She's not missed a meeting. She has been a great contributor to discussion. So she would be a big loss. We'd like to see if we could have a compromise and maybe like continue this one month and we can come back to it in a month's time. Okay, so all right. I think we have come to an agreement so here. These, both, both these seats. Okay, both of the seats. All right. So and, and I, um, if I may, oh, I just want to thank Mr. all Preston. of the folks um, who came out today and hang tight for a month. Yes, 
Thank you very much for your patience. Okay, so we had a motion by Commissioner Avalo, seconded by Commissioner Farrell, and if we can take that without objection to continue nope. both seats. Uh, oh. The House has changed, so. That's right. And also, did we take public comment? We did not. not. We did? No. <laughs> okay, so now we will actually take public comment on item five. Item five only. Okay. Are you here for item five? I was no. here for several, but I can speak now and do the same thing. Only if it's about the Gary B or TCAC. But if not, we'll... Bikes too, maybe. Okay, we have a general public comment later, so we'll call you up okay. then. Okay? All right, so public comment is closed, and uh, we'll do a roll call now. Okay. On the motion to continue the item, Commissioner Avalos? Aye. Avalos, aye. Commissioner Breed? Aye. Breed, aye. Commissioner Farrell? Aye. Farrell, aye. Commissioner Peskin? Aye. Peskin, aye. Commissioner Tang? Aye. Tang, aye. Okay. All right, to be continued. Item six, please. Item six, recommend allocation of 48,000 in Prop K funds and 1,684,954 in Prop AA funds with conditions for four requests and appropriation of 262,000 in Prop K funds for two requests subject to the attached fiscal year cash flow distribution schedules. This is an action item. Thank you. We have Anna Laforte. Good morning, Supervisors. Anna LaFort, Deputy Director for Policy and Programming at the Transportation Authority. Um, we have six requests to pre present to you today for totaling over just $2 million. And we're having some technical difficulties getting the slides up, but they should be up in just a moment, and I believe you have them in front of you as well. Um, the first request is from the Transportation Authority for about $210,000 for the Treasure Island Mobility Management Program, and this would fund fiscal year 1617 work related to the implementation of congestion pricing. Um, and related improvements. The two phases, the design and environmental phases, um, would be done, are planned to be done by June of 2017, um, and the work will support um, the project being open for use and the start of operations in January of 2019. Prop K funds will leverage funds from the Treasure Island Development Authority as well. Still working on the um, the slides, but um, to continue, the next request is for the District 6 Neighborhood Transportation Improvement Program Planning Funds. Um, this is a $100,000 request, and it's also, um, it is split between the SFMTA and the SFCTA, and I will go into um, both of those requests. The first portion is from MTA, and it is for community-based planning on Folsom and Howard Streets. Um, these are Vision Zero high-injury corridors and are among the busiest bicycle routes in San Francisco. Um, this portion of the request would allow MTA to engage with uh, leadership and representatives in the Soma Youth and Family Zone. Um, and the, both of these projects are focused on work in that zone, and this is to address pedestrian safety and access to community assets in particular. Um, such as community centers and recreation centers and schools. The planning work would be done by July of 17. So this adds an extra layer of community outreach to the work that would be done as part of these um, street redesigns. There 
The second portion of the NTIP planning request for District 6, Soma Youth and Family Zones, is for the Vision Zero Ramp Intersection Study Project, and this is also from the Transportation Authority. Um, this will allow for us to work with stakeholders and the district supervisor to develop recommendations for improving safety at up to five ramp intersections in the zone. Um, the locations are, um, are shown on the slide that is being loaded onto the overhead projector right now. Um, these locations are among the top 20 intersect ramp intersections citywide, ranked by the number of injuries sorry, between 2005 and 2012. Um, they're proximate access to sensitive users in the zone, senior centers and schools, et cetera, and they're also good candidates for additional planning and project development. So the recommendations that will be an outcome of this study um, are likely um, improvements that can be implemented in the next three years or so. Thanks, Yvette. So the next, um, the next three projects are projects that have come from the Prop AA call for projects. Um, recommendations that were approved at the board last month. The first of these projects is the bulb outs at Walk First locations. This is a Prop AA vehicle <clears throat> registration fee request um, for just under $500,000. It will um, fund the design phase of work to upgrade up to 25 intersections um, that currently have painted safety zones and hit posts, and this will upgrade those intersections to have concrete bulb outs. And these are all locations on the pedestrian high injury Corridors. So we're about um, to go into clubbing mode. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All righty. Um, and so the um, the construction would begin in spring of 2018, and this funds the design work to prepare for that. Force of habit. Um, Yes, thank you. Um, the next request is for the Mansell Corridor Improvement Project, and um, this project is under construction. This is a Prop AA request that will leverage various other funding sources prioritized by the Transportation Authority, among other agencies, um, to complete the improvements, and this uh, funding will cover higher-than-anticipated bids on the project. Commissioner Avalos? Hi. Just a question on this. And this is actually the, this, uh, what is it, uh, 163000 is closing the, the final gap in That's funding? That's correct. Great. Um, just a question, maybe you, don't, maybe you don't have the answer to it, but the uh, bike lane uh, going east, going west uh, towards uh, Persia and Dublin, um, what happens when we get close to where the curve is? There was an accident last year where someone was coming out of the hill and was hit by a car. Um, is that uh, intersection going to be worked out so we'll be able to, you know, have clear signage and places where people actually use the bike line? Because I look at it right now, there's a sidewalk there, but at some point you have to cross over to the other side, I believe, mm -hmm. to use as access the bike lane. I'm just trying to get a sense of that. Yeah, I, I don't know particularly about the intersection improvements. I know that there is a bike lane on the uphill side and shadows on the downhill side on Mansell between Dublin and Brazil. Um, but if there are more specific um, location um, Im improvements, maybe we could follow up with your Let's office after Great. the meeting. Okay. Thank you. Okay. And the, the final request is from the, let's see here. Is from, um, 
is from the Department of Public Works. I seem to not have my slide um, for the Chinatown Broadway um, streetscape project. And this project um, is also a high priority and has funds that um, that have been programmed by the Transportation Authority um, in various other um, forums. It's a complete streets project from Columbus to the Broadway Tunnel and also covers higher than anticipated bids. So at the um, March Transportation Authority board meeting at the request of Supervisor Peskin, the board approved a, um, a condition that the um, Department of Public Works work with his office and also some community stakeholders who have some questions about um, about the design um, prior to awarding the contract, and so at at um, and our understanding is that these issues are are being discussed, and that several meetings have taken place, but that they have not been resolved as of today. So we are forwarding this request with a tentative recommendation, um, pending the outcome of those discussions, um, which we are um, looking to see if those resolutions can be reached by the board meeting next week. And if I just further to that and thank you and uh, to Ms. Chang for helping coordinate those meetings between MTA and DPW and the community. Um, I'm hopeful that it will get resolved. One thing I just wanted to add for the record was the notion that it could start at the Columbus side and move in a westerly direction to the unresolved intersection at uh, Powell and Broadway where that tragic pedestrian fatality in a hit and run happened, um, which is where we're trying to rejigger things a little bit. Um, at the meeting in my office, one of the individuals, I believe from the project manager from DPW said that, or from MTA said that they uh, couldn't tell the contractor to start at one end and go to the other. I've subsequently talked to Director Riskin, um, who said he did not think it would be a problem to have him start at the eastern side and move in a westerly direction. Okay. Any other questions or comments then on, on this item? Okay. Um, I would just, I mean, we're going to go to public comment first, but I, I would like to ask uh, Commissioner Peskin, I think that there are several options here, and so was it that you would like to move this whole package of Prop Ks to the full board? Yeah, I'm comfortable <coughs> moving okay. it to the full board. Okay, great. Full commission. All right. Thank you. Any other questions, comments? Seeing none. Okay. So we'll open up this item then to public comment. Okay. Any members of the public? Nope. All right, public comment is closed on item six, and the House has changed, so if we could take a roll call. All right, on item six, Commissioner Avalos? Aye. Avalos, aye. Commissioner Breed? Aye. Breed, aye. Commissioner Farrell? Farrell, absent. Commissioner Peskin? Aye. Peskin, aye. Commissioner Tang? Aye. Tang, aye. The item is approved. All right. Thank you. Item seven, please. Item seven, Bay Area Bike Share Update. This is an information item. Thank you. We have Emily Stapleton. Motivate. Good. Good morning, supervisors. Thank you for inviting me to give an update on the Bay Area Bike Share progress. Uh, I have a short presentation to walk through and welcome your comment and question. 
as an update on where we are in the big picture of implementing a 10x expansion of the bike share program from 700 to 7,000 bicycles, we have signed an agreement as of the very end of last year, 2015, between Motivate, the provider of the bike share, and the MTC, as well as an additional agreement between MTC, Motivate, and the cities, including San Francisco, San Jose, and then three cities in the East Bay, Berkeley, Emeryville, and Oakland, um, to provide this expansion over the course of the next couple of years. Um, again, the program will be provided at no cost to taxpayers, and in stations siting, 20% of stations will be located in MTC-designated communities of concern. Briefly, to get a sense of the scale of this expansion, today San Francisco has 326 bicycles in a program that primarily covers SOMA in the financial district. At expansion, it will have 4,500 bicycles, and it will cover all of the districts across San Francisco. And again, 20% um, stations in communities of concern, touching each of the seven communities of concern in San Francisco. Um, the scale of the program in San Jose will have about 1,000 bikes, and in the East Bay, about 1,500. To date, we've begun the process of soliciting public feedback for the first phase out of four phases of expansion for San Francisco's expanded bike share system. This has included a multi-step process that began with uh, rigorous data analysis of the locations that would be best suited for bicycles. This includes factors such as residential and commercial density, transportation, infrastructure, topography, and also very importantly, public feedback that we collected online when this agreement was announced uh, last, last May. From there, once we determined some locations that would be viable for bike share, we identified over 200 specific locations that would be technically viable for bike share, and then brought these, after reviewing with uh, elected officials in the districts for phase one, we brought these to the public for review. In those sessions, neighbors are able to uh, communicate with their fellow neighbors and decide where they think that bike share would be best in their communities. And finally, we posted draft final maps based on that public feedback and the feasibility of those locations upon closer review. Just in terms of some stats around this public outreach, that website that went live last May, we've seen over 5,000 submissions of places that San Francisco community members would like to see bike share. And again, that was incorporated in the initial siting for this phase one and will be referred to on an ongoing basis for phases two, three, and four. Um, over the course of the outreach, we've had over 70 stakeholder meetings, including uh, outreach to each of the supervisors or their offices as well as community stakeholders, uh, neighborhood associations, merchant associations, and of course other stakeholders such as BART, Port, and Rec and Parks that uh, may have stations that are located on their property or near their property. And when, when did those meetings happen? Over the course of last fall, 2015, through present and ongoing for sure through the breadth of the expansion. I only got here in kind of January, but we should probably visit. Yes. I believe we have, um, we, we should, we had, we had an update to your office, but I would love to meet. Um, 
So in addition to those forms of outreach, as I mentioned, we had three public workshops, one in <coughs> District 6, one in District 8, one in District 9. Those are the districts that will be receiving bikes in the first phase of bike share. Again, this is a phased approach, so 25% of bikes are expected to be cited and permitted in this round of um, of outreach and station placement, and those were selected to make sure that the system is continuous as bike share really thrives on density and proximity of one station to the next. Um, so that's why District 6, 8, and 9 are in this first phase, but as I mentioned, we'll be um, reaching all districts over the successive phases of, of the rollout. Um, as I mentioned, the first phase, we have some preliminary sites that have been selected based on the public workshop and the public feedback. And these maps have been posted online uh, as of about a month ago. And since then, we've had 100 comments further on the station locations through that portal. And we've also posted these maps at public libraries in the districts where these stations will be rolling out so we can get even additional information um, from people uh, in the community. And relative to siting, is there, what, can you put them anywhere you want? Is there a process, MTA lets you do it anywhere, or how does it work? Yes, good question. We have, uh, we work very closely with MTA through all phases of this process, from citing the potential service area to citing the specific station locations. Bike share stations can be located on street, off street, on privately held property and parks. They're very versatile and flexible, and we do have citing guidelines from the MTA when they are going to be placed on MTA property. The reason I ask is, through the chair, is that um, I've been receiving a lot of complaints when one of them recently moved from Grant Avenue at Columbus to Grant Avenue to the south in Chinatown, and um, everybody flipped out. They didn't have any notice. The merchants are mm -hmm. upset. The community organizations are upset, and it just kind of – I mean, I didn't know that it was going to get yanked and plopped down there, and I was told that – there's no real process, and they're they're pretty upset. Okay, understood. Um, that particular move with the station that's on the ground was a, a temporary move, and that, that station is being relocated to a different location now. Um, the point is well taken that, that merchants in the surrounding area, residents should be notified when a station is moving in front of their property. Um, for the new stations that are being cited, we're going through a, a very thorough process right now of going to the abutting location. So that would be fronting businesses or um, residences to notify them that that um, a station site has been identified in front of their, um, their property uh, and to answer any questions about that. So we definitely are um, available to answer any questions or concerns with station moves. I guess I'm asking something a little bit different, which is, is there a process for objecting or appealing? Can somebody go to the MTA commission meeting mm -hmm. and say, um, we have issues, we have alternative sites? Mm -hmm. Is there any process for that? Yes, of course. Um, so through this workshop process, again, through... I can answer that too. Okay. <laughs> um, 
So, uh, I may, I may uh, so Heath from the, Heath Maddox from the MTA uh, likely has additional perspective on this as well, but in terms of uh, our, our high-level process, in these public workshops, we, we receive feedback from neighbors. We come up with a primary location that seems to be the best suited based on conversation, and then a secondary location. And if, if through this process of posting online um, and going through the permitting process, we're hearing feedback that this is just not working within the community where a station has been cited, we have that alternative station that we can then um, pursue. And we do reach out directly to the merchant associations and community groups throughout this entire process. I mean, I know we're at the dawn of the 21st century, but a lot of my constituents in Chinatown don't go online. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right, if we can have MTA respond to that. Thank you. Good morning. I'm Heath Maddox, um, <clears throat> excuse me, bike share program manager at the MTA. And just to respond to Commissioner Peskin's questions about process. We do have a detailed uh, procedures and, and, and guidelines for relocating stations and locating them initially. I just want to make it clear that that station in Grant Columbus was relocated on an emergency basis in response to a, a paving project. And um, for temporary moves, um, we, we move them, but if it's going to be in the location longer than, than, than 90 days, then we, we have to back up and go through the full legislative <laughs> process, which takes it all the way through public hearing. If it's only going to be there for uh, under 90 days, then, then there's no process other than, uh, no, no specific legislative process other than due diligence, talk to the neighbors, which my understanding was that the neighbors were consulted on this, uh, but the larger community perhaps didn't didn't get full notification, but there is a process. Okay, well, I mean, for many, many decades, there has, Chinatown has had an organization that deals with transportation, Chinatown trip, um, and uh, I mean, I can give you their contact information, but they definitely were not consulted. Right, understood. Thanks. So I'll, um, I'll pick up where I left off on outreach and um, draw the presentation to a conclusion and see if there's additional comment. Um, just really quickly on where we are in the process, as I mentioned, this is the first phase of four phases. Um, I just detailed the stages that are listed on the lower part of slide six. Um, so we've identified locations for phase one. We've gone through public workshops. Um, we have posted the proposed stations online. We're soliciting additional public feedback right now. Um, and we're in the process of citing stations and delivering them to SFMTA um, for permitting. We will replicate that process through phases two, three, and four. And as I mentioned, by the time that we have finished all of the, uh, the phases, we will have stations in each of the 11 districts and again in the, um, the seven communities of concern in San Francisco. Um, so I know there's a question about exactly where we're going next, and we expect that the total service area map for the future phases um, will be released in the next couple months, and we certainly will share that with all of the supervisor's offices when we have that. The final, yes. Uh, just how long is the time between submitting a permit and actual installation of the stations? Um, it depends on how long until the permits are approved. Um, it, a permit may take somewhere between four to six weeks to be approved and um, to order the stations it takes approximately five months. So the lead time there might be somewhere between seven or eight months, something roughly like that. 
Um, and then finally, just on the um, some of the objectives that Bike Share is looking to uh, achieve through its rollout, um, the the membership access options we have, uh, we're we're changing the profile a bit from from the current profile. So right now it's a it's a single rate for a whole year. We're moving to a monthly installment payment um, of approximately fifteen dollars per month, um, which may make uh, membership more accessible for more people, make it a little easier for most people to budget on a recurring monthly basis. Importantly, we also have a discount membership program that's five dollars per month or sixty dollars for the year, and that program's available to those who are eligible for Care or Muni Lifeline. Um, we will be rolling that out as we approach the system expansion. So you'll be using uh, what guideline for discounted uh, participation? Is that um, federal guidelines or local the lifeline? California, um, uh, the California rates for energy. Um, so the utility lifeline program. Okay. Right. Great. Thank California you. State. Um, and I believe just generally, you know, bike share, what, what our goal to do with this ex system expansion is to um, encourage mode shift across the city to move people uh, from cars to hopefully a combination of transit, train, and bicycles. Um, and I definitely think that there is huge opportunity to get people thinking about more active transportation and linking their, their trips across uh, a series of modes to get where they're going rather than using uh, a motor vehicle. Um, so that really is the overarching goal of the program. And uh, again, having a system that, that fosters active transportation is really important to the health of the city as well. So we look forward to um, making it easier for more people to do that. Um, along with that, Bike Share, of course, supports Vision Zero. Um, there have been zero fatalities to date in the United States uh, with any Bike Share program, so that's a pretty impressive um, stat and one that I hope persists forever. Um, and of course, you know, we'll continue to inform our members and uh, our casual riders about ways to stay safe. In fact, right on the bicycle, on the handlebars, there are five safety guidelines on um, yielding to pedestrians, staying off sidewalks, riding with traffic, things that you should always be mindful of while on bicycles. Um, and so that's something that we will continue to make an important part of our program as well. Uh, and then finally, our commitment to local hiring as we scale up, we'll have more people who are rebalancing the bicycles, working as station technicians, working as bicycle checkers, bicycle mechanics. Um, and of course, we are posting through local uh, hire channels such as First Source, Jobs Now. Um, we just were at a recruiting fair with the Goodwill. And as we are going through these briefings with local community groups, whenever we have a job posting that comes available, we're sending them to those stakeholders as well to get to their constituents. So we're hoping to have a far reach with our hiring. Great, thank you. I know uh, you're not getting city funding for that, and our local hiring uh, legislation is triggered by city funding uh, projects, so it's not tax dollars necessarily. Um, but we have tried to extend it to the private sector as well. Um, right now, we're generally about 30% local hiring is, our, is what we're hitting in terms of our mark. And I would like to make sure that you're able to hit at least that number when it comes to hiring local residents who will be using the system. Um, that to me would be, uh, we also have a lot of examples of the first source program actually not yielding that type of participation. So uh, I think you just want to make sure you're actually hitting as much as you can measures to get to that, that number would be fantastic. 
Understood. Thank you. And then just in terms of timeline, I mean, I know that we spoke about this, um, you know, uh, in private briefings as well, but um, obviously I know that our CAC chair, I mean, CAC representative from District 4 also brought this up, which is, you know, we'd love to see some of this on other parts of the, of the city. And I certainly understand why they're clustered in certain segments of San Francisco. Um, but do you have um, kind of a better sense of timeline as to when I mean, I know that you said you're going to roll this out to all 11 districts eventually, but do you have a better sense of timing for when it might come out to, say, the west side? Um, well, the, the phasing is 25% of bikes in the first phase, which, as you saw, we we're citing for right now, 15% in the next phase. We expect to deliver permits for that this fall, and then 30% of bicycles will be permitted um, or will deliver permits next spring and next fall. So another 15% of bikes will get us stepwise out from where our system is right now, but likely the, the stations that are further west will be permitted in spring next year and fall next year with the timeline for deployment uh, coinciding with what I described earlier, the time to permit and the time to receive the equipment. Mm -hmm. Okay, thank you. Um, Commissioner Avalos. Avalos. <laughs> thank you. Um, so just interested in payment options and what's gonna be available. Um, Supervisor or Commissioner Pascan was talking about how a lot of folks don't have access to the internet or, um, but wondering if, if there's going to be a cash payment option that's going to be available for, for people to pay. Today there is not one planned, um, but this is a long-term program and we're working with many regional partners on making this as accessible as possible to as many people as possible. So we definitely are open to having that conversation with stakeholders. Um, the, the program right now, because the bike, bicycles are very expensive, we need to be able to link it to an account so that if there is, if a bicycle goes missing, we have a way to follow up on that so our, our bicycles don't leave the fleet. Um, and that, that could involve something just as having a, uh, a capital account that's sort of secures the, the cash payments. Um, so something like that could be discussed, but in this first deployment, we are focusing on making sure that as many people as possible know about the discount option. Okay, that would be important to, uh, for us to, to talk more about. Um, I think the cash option is super critical for removing a barrier, but I understand that the bikes are expensive and that might not be enough collateral to back up a bike have a small amount of cash. Um, the other issue is, are Clipper cards gonna be uh, usable as payment? That is something that's in the agreement um, to be rolled out, I believe it's within 20 months after the initial deployment. So that's something that's on the longer term horizon, but is a requirement within this agreement. So we're looking forward to integrating that as well. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Great. Thank you for your presentation. Uh, any other questions or comments from colleagues? Okay. Um, Commissioner Breed. Thank you. I just wanted to know when the um, program is scheduled to roll out in Hayes Valley. Mm -hmm. um, Hayes Valley is adjacent to the current service area, so it would be likely that we would look at Hayes Valley for the next 15% of, of siting. So that is taking place through this summer, and we would look to submit permits through the fall. Um, and then bikes would then be expected to come sort of mid-spring or early summer next year. Okay, so a year from now. Um, approximately, yes. Okay, That's thanks. Right. Yep. 
Commissioner well, Avalos. Lastly, uh, just want to say thank you for all your work on this. This is actually a really exciting thing that is going to come to San Francisco. And a lot of us wanted to come be in our districts right away. And I know that, you know, it takes time to develop and to ramp up. So what you're contributing here is, is very significant. I just want to say thank you. Thank you. Commissioner Peskin. No. Nope. Okay. Nope. Okay. All right. Thank you so much. You. Uh, so at this time, I'm going to open up item seven to public comment. Any members of the public who wish to comment on item seven about bike share? I've noticed uh, in Chinatown, uh, there's only available what is a bike share is on the uh, on the Grand Avenue, uh, 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 Cross Street, the Broadway. If you make it available on the, also on the other end of Grand Avenue entrance of Chinatown, be you no know, a good idea, you know. Because the Grand Avenue is a good uh, lane for piling you know, along the tourist uh, area. Thank you. Next speaker, please. Okay. Are, are you coming up for this item? Yeah, yes. That was quick. All right. Well, I just want to put one thing on the board. If you could uh, focus that in. Is that? Oh, I got to turn it the other way. My, my bad. Like that. Okay. Yeah. This is. What does that say? Can you read that? It's hard to understand sometimes. Um, see, some people don't even know how to understand languages at all. So that's enough of that. Um, if you could show me now. I mean, you can't understand what it says, right? Because it makes no sense. What I'm here to speak about today is if you don't stop depending on oil to begin with, you're going to have problems. In China, they've never, hardly ever in some regions even seen a motor vehicle at all. Now, when you tunnel and tunnel like Muni, all that stuff, you just make this city weaker. I've spoke before about the weakness, the structural stuff. You've got to quit doing Muni tunneling in San Francisco. It's just a peninsula. You've got to start thinking more like maybe ancient China. You have to think that way. Because if you keep doing all these modern, modern buses, you're going to collapse the city on top of itself. You can't tunnel. There's undertow all over the place. By the way, I would like to just take the rest of my time for two teenagers from Vallejo, at least 30, maybe Sir, 10 Sir, this is seconds. about bike sharing. So. I know. Oh. This has a lot to do with that. It does. Sharing things from around the city. I met a person from Vallejo who came all the way here. Those kids probably came here on bikes from Vallejo, and they're no longer with us. That's two teenagers from Vallejo in the papers today. I, I'm in Miss Breed's office. She knows who I'm talking about. Thank you very much. Any other members of the public who wish to comment on item 7? Seeing none, public comment is closed. That was an information item, so we'll go on to item 8. Item 8, update on the District 3 Neighborhood Transportation Improvement Program. This is an information item. Thank you. We have Greg Reeson from MTA here. Wow, Greg Reeson. Good morning, Commissioners. Greg Reeson with San Francisco Municipal Transportation Agency and Project Manager of the Kearney Corridor Multimodal Improvement Project which hasn't really started yet, but I am the manager of it once it gets going. Uh, and yeah, here to talk about and answer any questions uh, related to the NTIP funding and 
recently, we turned on a new pedestrian scramble at the intersection of Kearney and Clay. That was a big um, interest from the community to do that. Uh, so, yeah, I'm excited that that's on. I was just out there this morning watching it. We turned on the scramble and also two other intersections to the north, uh, put in some leading pedestrian intervals and other um, traffic calming improvements. Um, I do want to take a moment to recognize my colleague Ryan Green Rosal from the Transportation Authority who's been working with me on this project. And uh, it's important to give her uh, and um, CCDC and other members of the community credit for pushing for these immediate pedestrian improvements. Uh, so it's been a team effort. But yeah, I'm just here to answer questions. We, um, we're looking to kick off our, the larger corridor project soon, which is gonna be a planning and a design effort. And the intent is to do similar low cost, quick implementation, uh, pedestrian improvements, as well as other multimodal improvements um, in the Kearney corridor, Kearney and maybe Montgomery Street as well. Uh, we're working to get a community-based organization on board to assist us with outreach. So that's our current step. And uh, once we have that wrapped up, hopefully in the next few weeks, uh, I think we'll be holding, scheduling our first public meeting, which is just going to be completely open, like, listening session about what the community would like to see. So that's just a brief overview. I don't really have anything to share other than I encourage you to go out and look at the new scramble and enjoy it. Um, and yeah, any questions or comments? Commissioner Peskin? If I may, through the chair, any update on turning what is now a lateral scramble into a true cross yes. scramble? Yes, great question. Um, so we did, just to keep it uh, quick and simple, without having to do any um, conduit or trenching or pole foundation changes, uh, we unfortunately were not able to install additional diagonal pedestrian heads like we commonly have at, at most uh, scrambles, although not all scrambles in San Francisco, but certainly the ones that are more pedestrian-oriented. Um, we like to install those. But unfortunately, the, the signal at Kearney and Clay is very old, um, hasn't really been touched in terms of hardware since the 70s or 60s, I believe, or maybe even 50s. Um, and the conduit cannot carry additional wires for the additional pedestrian head. So we uh, do plan, we have put it into our capital improvement plan uh, for the complete upgrade of that signal at Kearney and Clay. Uh, as a priority, so I imagine in a, a year or two that the, the full signal will be upgraded, new poles with you know overhead arms that are more visible for everybody, uh, and uh, curb ramps um, at the corners that lack curb ramps now. Um, as I'm sure uh, people who are familiar with the infrastructure in this area are aware, uh, it's very challenging to do new poles or new curb ramps in this neighborhood where we have all these uh, sidewalk basements. Um, a colleague of mine is just installing one new traffic signal pole on Sansom Street. It's like a million dollars to redo the whole basement. So that's why it can't be a quick um, fix. And we want, that's why, again, as part of my corridor project, we do want to do all these um, improvements. I, I said it's going to be striping and signage but, uh, and signal time, but it'll be curb ramps as well. Um, they are unfortunately challenging to do, but, but that is definitely the plan and that is the priority. Great, and we look forward to working with you to outreach to the community. Absolutely. All right. Thank you. Uh, seeing no other questions or comments, then uh, we will open up item 8 to public comment at this time. So anyone who wishes to speak on item 8, seeing none, public comment is closed. That was also an information item, so we'll call item 9, please. Item 9, update on the San Francisco Municipal Transportation Agency's Muni Equity Strategy. This is an information item. Thank you. We have Julie Kirschbaum from the MTA here. Thanks. 
Hi there. Good afternoon. Or good morning. Good morning. Um, I'm Julie Kirschbaum, the uh, Operations Planning and Scheduling Manager at SFMTA. I had an opportunity to address you as a full board um, when we were vetting the equity strategy. We have since um, had um, approval by the MTA board and have also had the um, proposals integrated into both the operating and the capital budget. Um, I was going to focus my presentation today um, just very briefly on some of what I think are the more interesting uh, nuances of the work and then talk a little bit about next steps and any questions that you may have. Um, the, what I, the reason that I'm passionate about this work is that I really feel that the equity strategy built, builds on what is already, I, I think, a, a tremendous foundation of affordability and access within the muni system. Uh, we have one of the densest systems in the country. You can absolutely live in most neighborhoods in San Francisco without a car because you are within a quarter mile of a transit stop. We've made a lot of system-wide investments, including launching the um, fourth and final service increase on Saturday. Um, as well as investing in new buses and transit priority streets. Um, and our affordability programs are, I think, a model in terms of progressive um, funding policy around transportation. We have almost 100,000 people signed up for the um, free passes, as well as another 80,000 that take advantage of our discounted um, monthly pass. Um, so the immunity equity strategy builds on that, and what it does then is try to create transparency about the service conditions. So once we make it relatively easy to access and relatively easy to afford, we want to make sure that it is performing to par. Uh, because if you're going to, for example, a minimum wage job, you, you don't have a lot of flexibility on when you get there. Um, and so oftentimes a reliability problem becomes a travel time problem. Somebody who a trip takes 20 minutes one day and 45 minutes the next day, they're padding their trip by 25 minutes every day. Um, we also were really focused on evaluating all times of day. Um, it's just as easy, likely that somebody may be going to work on a swing shift or on an owl shift as a typical nine to five worker. So in addition to lending transparency to how the service was doing, we also looked at all times of day. Um, we distilled down an incredible amount of data and for every route that was serving um, communities that were low income and communities of color, we looked at how the route was performing in the neighborhood as well as citywide, and we also looked at how it was comparing to its peer average. So, for example, we didn't compare the 8 Bayshore to a little route like the 35 Eureka. We looked at it compared to our other rapid routes to see how it was performing. Um, and the results varied. I, for, uh, in some cases, we found that it was quicker or more reliable on some routes um, in, in these neighborhoods. In other cases, we found they were about on par, but maybe par wasn't where we want to be as a city. Um, and then in some cases, we found real issues. And that's what the strategy, I think, is, is so powerful for, is that we're identifying those issues, we're 
looking for capital and service solutions to those issues, and then those treatments then got folded into our budget and, and will be um, implemented. Um, we also use this um, document as the first of what will be an annual assessment um, of conditions in this neighborhood, these neighborhoods. And, and this was really important to the um, task force that we were working with, particularly um, Chinatown um, CDC was, I think, really helpful in helping us shape this, not only as a diagnostic tool, but also as an accountability tool. So what we saw first was that from 2014 to 2015, in almost every metric, we saw improvements. Um, and, and that's not entirely surprising. We've made a massive citywide investment in vehicles, in hiring enough operators, and in, in increasing the service. But not only is it playing out in citywide trends, like on-time performance is up 7%, and our breakdowns are down 10%, but it also showed up in these neighborhoods. We saw pretty significant reductions in crowding. Uh, we saw reductions in gaps in service. We saw... Um, improvements in on-time performance. Um, so in our CIP, um, there's already almost you know, $3 billion of big ticket items that help Muni customers. Because Muni customers are disproportionately low income, they're, they're going to help people with disabilities and people from low-income households across the board. And those include the biggest ticket item is the new vehicles. Um, and projects like Central Subway, which will create a better connection between Visitation Valley and um, Chinatown, um, as well as the Muni Forward investments. But there's also some more incremental investments like the citywide transit signal priority, which almost every neighborhood will benefit from spending less time stuck at red lights on the buses, and it's sort of a, a relatively easy way to keep the buses moving and reliable. Uh, we also identified about 21 million additional investments, um, including um, uh, uh, programming a, a muni-forward-type project on routes like the 27 um, Bryant. 27 Bryant, it comes every 15 minutes. It wouldn't have initially met our sort of highest tier priority for things like bus bulbs or other transit priority investments. But when you look through the neighborhoods it's going through, an incredible amount of congestion in the Tenderloin, an incredible amount of congestion going through SOMA, it still needs those type of treatments if we're going to provide reliable service on the route. Um, and then on the service side, we also identified what's about $8 million in annual investments. Um, we believe that um, over the next two years that those services can be delivered through um, a combination of reinvesting travel time savings. So as we speed up the service, that allows us to free up buses to address things like crowding on the 29 line. Um, new connections um, between the Bayview and the Mission, um, as well as identifying routes or route segments that are not necessarily performing um, productively and redirecting them to service in these neighborhoods. Um, and that's essentially the, the list here. Um, in some cases, the recommendations are cost neutral. In some cases, they require additional resources. 
Um, so moving forward, um, we're really just at the very beginning of the outreach process of this. Um, our work to date has been primarily focused on um, data analysis, working with the task force to shape the process. Uh, we have a Caltrans planning grant that's going to allow us then to go into the neighborhoods and say, hey, this is what we're finding as the key needs. These are the recommendations that we already have moving forward. Do, do those align with your experience? What other issues are you seeing? Um, and because this is a living document, we will then refine and improve the strategies based on that feedback. Um, we also will do the 2015 to 2016 analysis of improvements um, and come back to both um, the TA board as well as the MTA board with a sort of this is where we're at uh, report in the kind of January, February timeline of, of next year. So the way this works is that on our, we have a two-year budget. On the budget years, we're focused on developing new recommendations and evaluating the recommendations that are already in play. On the off years, we're focused on are we seeing those investments work and are we seeing positive trends and do we need to make a course uh, correction. Um, so that that's where we're at. Um, I really appreciate particularly the, the support of Supervisor Avalos who really kind of, I think, kicked off and, and created this process and allowed us to look at our service. I, I think in a, what's been for me a really interesting and, and positive way. Um, and uh, in, in general, you've all been very supportive to, you know, make sure that we're talking with the right stakeholders and, and help with that. And we're going to continue, I think, to reach out to your offices as we head into the outreach piece of this. We, I think we have an opportunity to, to have some interesting conversations that we haven't had in the past because of these resources. One of the things we're going to be doing is actually some focus groups um, with some of our operators. A, a, lot, a number of our operators either grew up or live in the neighborhoods that we're focusing on, and they sort of have a dual perspective because they're driving the service, but they're also part of the community. Uh, we'd also like to do some focus groups with um, owl riders um, and um, reimburse people for their time, which we know is you know incredibly valuable, um, and try to get some feedback on where we could make some incremental improvements because we do have the Lifeline um, transportation grant for owl investments. We'll be launching two new services on Saturday, um, but over the next year we plan to be making sort of continuous adjustments and reliability improvements to make connections for that late night service really as seamless as possible. Thank you. Thank you for your presentation. Commissioner Avalos. Uh, thank you, Ms. Kirschbaum. I really appreciate your work on, on this uh, equity strategy. This has been many years in the making. We first uh, launched this idea through a charter amendment that was being proposed my office uh, had authored. Um, and I thought it was, you know, it was a, possibly a good way to go, but there was a concern about it being too bureaucratic, that we were going to create this oversight body and a handicapper general that would really make it very difficult to have flexibility. And uh, instead of creating that bureaucracy, uh, we use the existing, you know, staff to actually create this policy. And I think that was 
very well done. Alicia Jean-Baptiste and yourself and other members of the MTA have been really great working with community stakeholders from over this, all over the city who represent a lot of people who are low income and that participation uh, gay, was uh, very highly favored by the community group. So I just want to say thank you for that. As we're creating this dynamic approach, I think it's really important, as you mentioned, that we really emphasize the public input and that you utilize all resources to make sure you're hearing not just from advocates, as which we were part of in creating the strategy, but real everyday muni uh, riders. Uh, will be essential to making sure that we're hitting our mark. So just want to encourage that as we move forward and also want to thank you for your effort on this. Thank you. And before I get to the next speaker, um, I also did want to acknowledge MTA's work on this and Commissioner Avalos's leadership and in spearheading this uh, equity strategy report. Um, I guess my question is because you know, Muni travels through many different districts, right? It can either originate from a community concern and go to a non-community concern, vice versa. And so I think I just wanted to better understand how, um, I mean, in terms of whether it's metrics or how you're um, deciding where improvements need to be made, um, I, I guess I'll just give you an example. Is it that, let's say I'm, I'm coming from you know, maybe District 10 and it takes me a really long time to hop onto a bus or that it's too many connections to get to another part of the city? Or is it that maybe from one part of the city, maybe a western part of the city, it takes too long to get to you know, a community of concern? I, I guess I have trouble understanding how all of this is measured because for, for any given line, it could be... Again, going from a really um, strong neighborhood with a lot of transit connections and then traveling through to, to one that doesn't. So how are you measuring um, where the maybe inequities lie? I think you're hitting on two really key, key things. One is that these are very long lines. And one of the reasons that we took this neighborhood approach is that there are some lines that we know are critical to neighborhoods um, that are low income that don't necessarily show up in our Title VI analysis because while they're critical, the majority of customers do not meet that profile. So the 22 Fillmore is sort of an excellent example of it. It's critical for the Western Edition, it's critical for the mission, but it's also incredibly well utilized in the marina and in Pacific Heights. And so it really mixed, mixed demographics. I, I think the benefit of this strategy is that by shoring up how the route is performing in the mission and in the Western Edition, it's actually going to help improvements across the entire route. The other thing is that, and, and this is something that was really came from the leadership of the task force, the reason that they wanted to be neighborhood by neighborhood is that the issues differ. In Chinatown, the biggest issue is crowding and reliability on some of the routes like the 8, which are going on the freeway and hitting an absolute best day or, or worst day. In the Bayview, it tends to be more about travel time. And so we were able to tailor the approaches to that neighborhood. The way we looked at travel time was not what's the speed of the eight. The way we looked at travel time is we picked a kind of a central location for the neighborhood. So in Visitation Valley, I think we picked the library, like Leland and, and Rutland. 
and we said, if you were going by car or if you were going by bus, how long would it take you to get to City College, to get downtown, to get to SF General, to get to the grocery store, to get to the nearest um, big park? We basically focus on McLaren or the Presidio or, or, or Golden Gate. And then we looked at how did those travel times compare? So essentially looking at for each neighborhood, how much of the city could you access by transit within a reasonable amount of time? And how did the transit versus driving compare? Are you also looking at the number of transfers as well? So for example, for some communities, it might take you know, two or three transfers at minimum to get to some of the more yes, um, well-utilized destinations. Yeah, and it's built into that analysis because um, the transfer time is part of the overall travel time that you're having to make. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, Commissioner Peskin, or no, sorry, Commissioner Breed. Thank you. Um, so I just wanted to um, thank you for the work that's been done to get us to this point to have a better understanding from members of the community about their challenges with Muni. And I think um, I've been able to not only attend the meetings that have been hosted in the community, but also to get feedback from people who were not able to participate. And a lot of, I know the challenge is getting information from those individuals who unfortunately, um, because of their work schedules and family commitments and the challenges of um, just surviving in San Francisco. Um, it is very difficult to participate in these meetings, and so I know there there was a small group, but a very effective group um, at Freedom West to talk about some of their issues, and they were concerned that um, there were individuals who really needed to have a say in this process but were not able to participate. Is there a better way besides um, a community meeting um, where there could be surveys or a way in which to um, reach out to individuals either um, at their jobs or schools or places where we know um, families who definitely have limitations with their time would be able to talk about their challenges or even this might be a long shot, but even on the buses themselves as commuters are commuting, um, I just wanted to make sure that we were using a diverse uh, system to develop an analysis so that we are actually getting this information from the people who are having um, the challenges of getting to work and getting home and getting around the city and they completely rely on public transportation without the ability to take a taxi or Uber or use any alternative modes other than walking and public transportation. And I just want to make sure that we're able to really reach those um, individual in a way that gives us really good data to make the right changes to our system. Yeah, I, I think that that's really the key. Um, as we start the outreach, we are going to look for ways to connect to our customers in a way that's convenient to them. Um, whether that's on the bus 
whether that's an intercept survey, whether that's working through their community-based provider. You know, sometimes that can be an effective way to, to reach people. So we, we do intend to use much more kind of out-of-the-box, especially because this isn't a project per se, and that a traditional community workshop like, oh, I want to know about this street, so I'm going to come to this meeting. Like this is a much more amorphous topic. Um, and so I, we are going to try to be very creative in how we do the outreach. And last but not least, I would say um, the schools, the high schools in particular, are a great um, resource because um, you could also look at who qualifies for free or reduced lunch and those kinds of uh, students and the neighborhoods that the students come from um, and as a way to maybe use student data um, to help develop the um, right system as well. So I just want us to be a little bit more creative with our outreach efforts to have a diverse group of opinions to develop the right plan. So just wanted to put that out there as well. And, and thank you so much because this is, um, you know, the first time we've gotten to this point where we really can have a better understanding of what the challenges are, and sometimes it's really hard to quantify that, and um, this is the first step in the right direction. Thank you, Supervisor Av Commissioner Avalos, for um, helping to lead this effort as well. Thank you. Thank you, Commissioner Breed. And um, just a couple more questions, because um, I know that as you're, we're looking through an equity lens, um, there, there are certainly a number of things you could, you could look at, right? Um, so I know that, for example, in the west side and the sunset, it may not necessarily qualify as a community of concern, but we have a very high population, I think one of the top uh, population of senior writers, right? And many of them who are, um, you know, actually of low income families. And so, how did you look at maybe communities such as that, um, you know, a senior population through that lens, um, again, which may not necessarily appear in, in other ways as a community of concern? Because, you know, even when I go to um, a, a meal site where seniors are going Monday through Friday to get free meals at a self-help for elderly site, I was so shocked that about 60 to 70 of them raised their hand when we asked them whether how they got there, and it was about the El Tarabel. And they ride that. And so um, I know that there's obviously Muni Forward projects that will help support populations overall, but are you looking at, again, other factors such as the age, um, the population? Um, so maybe we'll just speak to the senior issue first then. Um, we, we, we did. So for the most part, this document takes a very um, focused neighborhood approach. Um, to try to understand the equity needs of seniors and people with disabilities, we had to apply more of a citywide lens. Um, we're really one of the kind of side benefits of having so many people with disabilities and seniors on the discounted passes is that we're getting much better data on where they're riding and which routes they're, they're riding uh, the most and also proportionally the most. And so in addition to identifying routes in the neighborhoods that we focused on, we also identified routes that are heavily used by seniors and people with disabilities and came up with additional recommendations and analysis for them as well. And we'll continue to reevaluate those routes on an annual basis to make sure that as the population ages and some of the demographics shift that we're still focusing on 
on the right information. Mm-hmm. And I'll um, maybe I'll follow up with you directly about that because I think that's. Um, Sometimes the, the goals um, compete with each other. So, for example, we're trying to better serve seniors um, and provide more reliable, faster um, service to other neighborhoods. But then at the same time, there's proposals to remove stops, which a lot of seniors in my district, for example, have complained about. So I don't know how we reconcile those different interests. Um, but, you know, I, I, again, I'd be interested in following up with you offline to, to discuss that further. Um, and then the last question I have is just um, in terms of, I mean, I think you kind of touched upon this earlier with my other question, but how are you, I guess, determining whether the performance in just the community concern compared to the overall line is, say, doing worse um, or better? Um, or how is it that once you implement certain improvements that will actually help improve the part that you're trying to uh, address, which is in a community concern? Um, for data like on-time performance, uh, we measure on-time performance. We uh, we do ourselves no favors. Um, every uh, the, the GPS on the buses pings um, to the schedule about every half mile to three quarters of a mile. So when we look at on-time performance, we're looking at millions of samples um, per day. Um, it allows us to look at how on time the route is in the neighborhood versus how on time the route is on average versus how on time the category of routes are. So we started very micro looking at, you know, is the 14 mission on time at 16th and mission? Is it on time sort of throughout the route, and then how does it compare to other routes that come every 10 minutes or better and are carrying, you know, 50 to 100 people? Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. Uh, any other questions or comments on this? Okay. Well, thank you for your presentation. And again, I'll, I'll look forward to following up with you more on this. Um, so with that, this is an information item, but I will open up um, item 9 to public comment. Any Members of the public wish to comment. Seeing none, item 9, public comment is closed. And uh, if we can move on to item 10. Item 10, introduction of new items. This is an information item. Any new introductions? Okay, seeing none, public comment on item 10. Oh, I'm sorry, Commissioner Avalos. Thank you. We had a presentation on bike sharing, and I'd like to get at some point a presentation from uh, the Transportation Authority or the MTA on the whole bike network and how that will connect and interface with our, our bike share program. I think it's time as we're seeing phases, uh, a phase and approach for our bike share, how we're actually accommodating that on our streets with our bike lanes. Thank you, Commissioner Avalos. Um, now this is public comment for introduction of new items, item 10. Seeing none, public comment is closed. Now item 11. Item 11, general public comment. Thank you. Good morning, commissioners. Methodology in body nature is peaceful oneness of ultimate truth, of ultimate sincerity with consistency, of truth in consistent mighty self-nature, of consistent self-nature with truth in heart or with the coloration of mighty spiritual force being ultimate great and ultimately strong, encompassing heaven and earth, containing everything of matters. Therefore, we should worship holy religion 
and engage onto holy studies with trust and applications. We follow cultivation in understanding of holiness in principles and to work on establishment of virtues with one objective along the line with our heavenly destiny and to abide with our true self-nature, gather of all areas in targeted goals and values for great success. We all must reason well upon holiness in principles for full awakening of its virtues with enforcement in focus of meditation, mercy, and preaching. The glory of wisdom and well-beings manifests one's blissful life as one establishes virtues, credits, speech of great benefits, having prosperity on earth like heaven, kingdom of four seas, with peaceful life fall. Thank you. Thank you very much. Any other members of the public <clears throat> who wish to speak? All right, seeing none, public comment is closed. Mr. Clerk, any other items before us uh, today? There are no items. Item 12, adjournment. Thank you. Our meeting is adjourned. Thank you.